All right, we're in Ephesians, and uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to try to keep my review as short as possible. I mentioned last week that I have this tendency when I review to want to review everything, and you can't do that because we're all the way at the end of the book now, Uh, but I do want to review just kind of a basic idea of where we're at. And uh, one of the things that we talked about in Ephesians, something that I didn't really know that Ephesians pointed to, uh, at the beginning of the book is talking about who God is, but it, uh, the second half of the book is it begins to shift uh, gears and start to talk about what do you need to do, right? What do you need to do? The, the, the main idea that was presented in that, that section is something I, I, I had missed previously, and it's this. Uh, when, when God calls us to do and to be th- things and to do things here... It's to be who you are in Jesus. To be who you are in Jesus. Jesus has, or God has recreated you. You're a new creation in Him. And, and when we're called to do things, it's not about earning righteousness and being a good person. All that stuff is gone. It's simply about, hey, God has created you new. Be who that person is that God has created you to be now. Who, who is this recreated person and, and what God is doing is attempting to work in your life to bring that about and to bring about that growth. But the reality is, when you begin to say, okay, i got to do this, i got to do this, and, and honestly, no matter how you try to avoid it, sometimes church can feel that way. Do this and do this and do this, and you got to stop doing this and stop doing Sometimes it feels that way. And, and, and the truth is, when you begin to attempt to live the life that God wants you to live, it's a spiritual battle. It's an absolute spiritual battle, isn't it? And we talked about in uh, Ephesians that that spiritual battle isn't all in your head. Because sometimes we feel that way. It's so hard to just do what God wants me to do or to do the right thing. And the reality is, it's not all in your head. There's a real spiritual battle going on. And Paul says, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. I mean, that's the reality that you're facing. When you say, okay, I want to go out and you're going to leave, leave church today and you're going to go out into this week and you're going to say, I want to try to live the way God wants me to live. The, the truth is you're going to, it's going to be a spiritual battle. There's, there's spiritual forces at work trying to get you to not live the way God has called you to live. And that's just the reality. And so we're right in the middle of the section in Ephesians at the end that's talking about this spiritual battle. And Paul says... Hey, uh, it's not God has not left us unarmed, so to speak, and so he goes into a metaphor of spiritual armor uh, to, to try to paint a picture of the things that God has given us to be victorious in this battle, to, to maybe be, a, if you want to think of it this way, to be a successful, okay, and I want to clarify what I mean by this, but to be a successful Christian. Uh, in other words, to be the kind of Christian that God has called you to be, to be able to live and do the things that God wants you to do. And God has called us to do this, and He's given us these things to go along with that. Last week we talked about the belt of truth, right? And uh, we talked about having your loins girded about with truth, and we talked about this truth that's it's about reality, it's about the truth, about who Jesus really is. This week we're going to talk a little bit more about the next part of the armor. And so let's take a look at this passage, Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 13 through 17, and it says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And I like that word, stand, it be established. Right? And some of us, we don't feel that way in our spiritual life. We feel, oh, you know, I get up and I'm down, I'm, I'm here, I'm there. 
right? I gave the illustration last week. Maybe you feel like your spiritual life is a roller coaster, right? It's up, it's down. And I said that can be a roller coaster can be a lot of fun unless your goal is going to the moon, right? If that's where you're aimed, then a roller coaster is just a big disappointment. I'm going, I'm going, I'm down. Oh, right? I'm down. I'm going down. And he wants us to be established in our Christian walk. He says that again, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so here we have these different elements of this armor. Last week, belt of truth. This week, we're going to look at this breastplate of righteousness. Now, is it true that there are certain organs that are more vital than others? Is that true? I mean... Reality, you could you could get cut in the arm and you could keep fighting in a battle, right? Uh, but you get stabbed in the heart, things are going to change real quick, don't they? There's major issues when something happens to the heart. You could even lose an arm and maybe keep going for a little while, right? But lose this heart, we got serious problems. And don't think we'd call these the vital organs? We've got some nurses in here, don't we? Right? These are the vital organs. There's a reality. There's some of us, some parts of us that are more necessary than others, you might say. I think spiritually speaking as well, even though we could talk about the heart and this physical heart pumping, blood pumping thing, there's a reality that in the Bible when it talks about the heart, it's not talking about this thing that's pumping blood. In Scripture, when Scripture talks about the heart, you might think of it as the the seat or the throne of your will. Right? When, they're, when they're talking about the heart, they're not talking about just the thing that pumps the blood. They're, they're, they're talking about the, the seat or the will uh, where, where, where you're, everything's coming out of this. Right, that All the decisions you make are coming from the heart. Now, obviously we know that the heart just pumps blood. But see, they, they also thought that the spleen was where your strength came from. So, you know, I mean, they were kind of confused on some of those things. But I still get that idea. I can see why they think that. Don't you? I mean, can't you feel it right in here sometimes? That there, there's certain passions and emotions. You can just feel it in your chest, can't you? Can you understand why they'd say this is where it comes from? This is the, the heart, the, the inner core of who you are as a person. And this is why you can read places like Proverbs that says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, or some versions say guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life, or some versions say all the issues of life come from the heart. This is, a, this is a good verse. Everything that you do is coming from the heart. All the issues of life are coming from this heart. This is a vital organ. This heart is. This is why you can go to the New Testament with Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, he says this, Matthew uh, chapter 12, verses 33 and 34, he says, uh, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. He says, For the tree is known by its fruit. You might be thinking, what's that got to do with the heart? Here we go. For out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. In other words, have you ever said something to somebody, and then you said, I don't know where that came from. I'm so sorry. I didn't even mean that. It's not true. That came from you. Out of the abundance or out of the overflow of your heart is where those words are coming from. Right? And the real issue, when you're saying things and say, oh, I didn't mean that, 
the, the problem the problem is in that moment you did mean it and that's where it came from and that's what really needs to be addressed in fact that's what needs to be addressed is you're apologizing to someone not just simply saying oh I didn't mean that but saying you know what I'm so sorry I'm the kind of person that would say something like that would you forgive me for thinking that way might make you think twice about what you're going to say if you know you're going to have to apologize like that, won't it? It's easy to just, you know, flippantly say things that you don't mean. But when you realize that those, those words are coming from the heart. I mean, Jesus tells us. I mean, if anybody knows and understands how human beings function, would it not be Jesus who has created all things? And he says, the words that you speak come from the heart. He goes on a little bit later in Matthew chapter 15. He says this. Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19, he says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles a person. Now, now what he's talking about is they, they were concerned about what de- might defile or make a person unclean. If you know the Jews, they were concerned about that. So like hand washing, you know, if you didn't wash your hands the right way and you didn't do this or you, you didn't follow this tradition and, and, and that would make somebody unclean. And Jesus is saying that, that, that's not what defiles you. What defiles you is what's coming out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth came from your heart, from who you are. And he goes a little step further, not just your words. He says this, For out of the heart, this is verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. I mean, the list could go on, but what he's saying is that the things that you're doing are coming from the heart. Can you see why the... the King Solomon said in Proverbs, he said, out of the heart come all the issues of life. You could think about your heart this way for a minute. You could think about it like a, there's, a, there's a throne in there, right? And, and as you're choosing to make different choices and you make different choices about different things and you're doing these different actions, one of the most important questions you can ask yourself is when you, when you say, why did I do this or why am I struggling with this? Especially if there's, there's sin issues that you know are wrong, you're trying to battle those things. Why am I struggling with this? The question you have to ask is, what was I wanting when I did that? In other words, to put it in a biblical perspective, who's, on, who's, in, the, who's in the throne room right now? I mean, we all know, hey, when you get saved, we, we like to say we've asked Jesus into our heart. But the reality is about your heart is that even though Jesus has recreated you and made you new, the heart in the sense of your, the seat of your will, the choices that you're going to make, He is not always on the throne. And when you're choosing to do wrong things... In those moments, he's not the one sitting on the throne. It's somebody else. You. And what you want. And what you're thinking, I want. I want this. And we've booted Jesus off the throne temporarily to get what we want. The heart, clearly, more than just a blood-pumping organ. It's the hub, you might say, of your will and the choices that you make. And so King Solomon says, guard your heart with all diligence or with has wrapped the breastplate to guard the heart. The commentaries kind of disagreed as I studied this through the, 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 the 
righteousness. Because clearly he's, ta- he's not talking about a literal breastplate of righteousness being put on. It's, a, it's a, a metaphor. He's talking about armor to try to picture what it looks like to get ready for battle. A soldier puts on his armor. As Christians, we're to put on uh, these different attributes that God has given us. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul de- calls the breastplate uh, faith and love. He doesn't call it righteousness. But in this case, he, he says the breastplate is righteousness. And so the commentary said, some of them said, you know what, this righteousness is talking about the righteousness, and I'm going to use a theological term for you, the righteousness that's been imputed to you. Right? Imputed. You don't say that word every day, do you? Uh, righteousness, uh, the Bible teaches that uh, when you become a child of God through faith, that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is placed on you. So that when you go to stand before God on Judgment Day, that what God sees is a righteous life, birth to death. Jesus lived a full righteous life. That righteousness is imputed to you. Your sinfulness was imputed to Christ and he took it to the cross. Right? That's how you can stand before God justified or declared righteous. Because you don't have your own righteousness, you have Jesus' righteousness. That's hugely important. Christians don't think that they're good, they know that they're not. They know that only Christ was good. But there's a problem. See, we can say, okay, okay, so it could be this. Maybe, maybe Paul's talking about this righteousness here that uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness, talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Some people say, no, even though that's true, what Paul's talking about is a righteous life, a righteous existence, living righteously. To put on the breastplate of righteousness is to be living in a righteous way. Even though we know that we, you know, there's you know, the reality that it's Jesus' righteousness that as we stand before God. Paul's still talking about living in a righteous way. And I can really see how that might seem like the obvious thing. Didn't we talk about when we're talking about truth, we're not talking about just the fact that there is truth, but we're talking about having truth coming out of our mouths, right? When we talk about putting on the belt of truth, we're talking about speaking truthfully. I mean, there's kind of this connection. But the problem is still there. As it is written in Romans chapter 3, we've got a problem, don't we? There is none righteous. Not even one. Nobody. Nobody's righteous. How can you put on righteousness if nobody's righteous? How is that possible? In fact, we could go a little step further. Right after this, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, Paul says this. He says, Now we know, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Hold that thought. He goes on, he says, For by works of the law, in other words, by doing the things that God says to do, obeying His commands, by works of the law, no human being will be justified or declared righteous in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, nobody's going to stand before God and say, I'm righteous because I did what you told me to do. That's not how it works. In fact, Paul says here, nobody gets, nobody gets declared righteous before God by what they did, by keeping the law. Nobody. If you're thinking that today, you're thinking, I, I've been a pretty good person, so I think God will accept me. That's absolutely wrong. Nobody is declared to be a righteous person right before God by what they have done, even by doing the things that God has commanded. That's not how it works. In fact, what's the law do, Paul says here? He says, what's that very last phrase? Since through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. Now, you probably know exactly what Paul's talking about when I say that. The more laws there are, don't you come 
more aware of how bad you are. Right? The more difficult it is to do what God says as you look at the law, that's what really... If you didn't know it was wrong to do this and somebody comes along and says, hey, it's wrong to do that, and you're like, I didn't know. I've been doing this all the time. See, what does the law do? It brings knowledge of sin. So listen to this next. Romans 3, uh, verses 21 through 24 says this, But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested or made tangible, right? It's been made manifested uh, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets do bear witness about it. In other words, the Old Testament, law and the prophets, they bear witness to this righteousness of God. Here's the righteousness of God. It's been made manifest, right? Feasible, tangible, right? The righteousness of God... Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. See, the righteousness then isn't our own righteousness. It's clearly coming through Christ, through faith. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Justified meaning called or declared righteous by grace. Grace alone through the redemption that is in Christ. Now think about that. I mean, all right, let me go put it back up there. Think about that. The first half of that verse is everybody's a sinner. We've all sinned. The righteousness that we can have is through what? It's a gift. It's not earned. It's not by what you do. He already talked about that. It's not by works of the law. It's not by what you do. Righteousness is a gift of grace. Absolutely undeserved and unmerited. And God gives us this righteousness through Christ. And the working of it happens at that moment when faith is happening. And God gives us that gift as well. But now, I don't want to lose you. There's definite benefits of this type of righteousness as a breastplate. Because we've got to ask, okay, Paul's talking about this as being armor. I can see clear benefits of this. I mean, if you've been justified before God, if you know that you're right with God because of what Jesus did alone, that can give great confidence to your heart to say, man, I I, I know that I I have confidence to stand before God unashamed. I know I've done this. I'll sin, yeah. But I'm righteous before God because of what Jesus did. Uh, I've worked with some people over time that have really struggled with assurance of their salvation, uh, knowing that they're saved, just knowing for sure that they've struggled Doubt after doubt after doubt. They're, they're, they're just confident. Some people don't seem to struggle with that at all, but every once in a while meet somebody that just really struggles with, I'm for, I know for sure that right now I know that I'm saved. I'm just struggling with that. And this truth of justification is one of the best realities that you can teach to a person in that situation. That there's nothing you do to get this gift of grace. It's all a gift God has bestowed upon you. Salvation is His work, and it's what He does. What a relief that is. It's not depending on you at all. There's no, not one element. Nobody's going to stand in heaven and go, we made it because we did this. And you didn't make it because you didn't do this. Right? That's not how it works. Grace is a free gift of God. We, God gets all the glory. We're going to stand in heaven and say, it's all because of you. It's all because of you because of what Christ has done on the cross. It's all because of you. I don't get one element of glory. It's all you. This can repel all kinds of accusations of the devil. The devil is an accuser. 
it's easy to want to do what God wants you to do, but then Satan's going, yeah, but you know who you are. You know what you've done. You know where you've been. You can't do things for God. Think about who you are and where you've been. No, you can't do it. This reality is a confidence to us, isn't it? To go boldly and say, okay, I'm going to live the way God wants me to live. I'm going to stand firm and establish because I know my righteousness is not depending on me. I can do what God wants me to do because Jesus is righteous. And so I can see already how this, this armor, this righteousness, taking on the righteousness of Jesus can be an armor. But I think that righteousness is more than simply, this righteousness that Jesus gives us is more than simply just a stamp of approval. I think that this righteousness is real. And let me explain what I mean by this. I'm going to put a quote up here from a, a commentary. This commentary is a, is a, a is, it was called a critical uh, exegetical commentary. In other words, it's a commentary that's just going through the language that Paul is using. Okay, So, so this, this particular commentary is just saying, okay, looking at the word, the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, what is Paul referring to? And it says this, The righteousness spoken of in Ephesians chapter 6, where we're at, the righteousness spoken of is that of Romans 6.13. And we'll look there in just a second. He says it's like the Romans 6.13 righteousness. Now, we were talking about Romans 3 righteousness that's imputed to us by Jesus. This commentator says this righteousness is talking about this Romans 6 type. He says, The purity and uprightness of Christian character, which is a result of the work of the Spirit of Christ, the inwrought righteousness of Christ, not merely the imputed righteousness. Now, some of you are looking at me like, what? All right, let me explain. Righteousness at the moment of salvation. Okay, so you got a person that, de- that, that, that their faith is not in Jesus Christ. There's this moment when, by the grace of God, somebody that's not a believer in Jesus, doesn't believe this business, says, I believe. That's grace. Faith, what happens first? I don't know. It, there it happens, right? I mean, we wouldn't have faith apart from grace. You know, we wouldn't have grace apart from faith. I don't, you know, it's, it's all right there. So here's this moment. At that moment, some things happen. One, that person is declared righteous before God. That's permanent. The Spirit of God is given to them as a seal. So God's Spirit dwells in them from this point forward. Right? This is why, as, as, as a Christian, I, I, I don't believe that at some point somebody can say, why, I don't want to be a Christian anymore, and they can just leave it. Because someone who's truly a child of God... The Spirit has been given into them as a seal to guarantee this future inheritance. God says, I'm putting my Spirit in you. Right? Now, here's the thing, though. None of that that I'm talking about can I see with these eyes. Right? I can't see it. How do I know that that happened? Isn't that where a lot of people struggle? When did, this, when did that moment happen? And I've talked about this before, so I don't want to repeat myself, but I, I know a lot of people think, man, I wish that, you know, like a firework would go off or something, you know, a bell would ring, you know, the, the angel just got his wings, you know, or something. I don't know. It's like I wish something would happen. Boom. Hey, it really happened. I know it's real. But that's not how God did it. But that doesn't mean he's going to leave us hanging. You just can never know. In fact, it's wrapped up in what's going on. If it was a real change of spirit in that moment, then what are you going to begin to see? happening in that person's life. Change. So how can you know that the Spirit of God that created the heavens and the earth is living in you? He's powerful. 
you're going to begin to see change. You're going to begin to see something happening. Supernatural going on. And this is where this guy's talking about. It's not just the imputed righteousness. It's the in- or the, this righteousness begins to work its way out, so to speak. Right? I mean, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is a powerful thing. And it's not just given to us as, okay, it changes my standing. That's part of it. But it's a real righteousness that Christ has imputed. His life of righteousness, he's imputed onto us. Stamped us with it. Given us his spirit. And so this righteousness is going to begin to work itself out. So now we're going to, we're going to take this idea here and we're going to say, okay, now, back to what Paul was saying, the breastplate of righteousness. How do you put on this breastplate of righteousness? And the answer to that question is, you live out the righteousness that God has already worked in you. Right? He's put it on, but then you begin to live it out. What Paul's talking about is, yeah, you can't earn your own righteousness, but this righteousness that Christ has given you must be worked out because of what it is and how powerful it is and how amazing it is that this righteousness is not something that can remain dormant but must work out. Let's look at that Romans 6 passage. Let's see what Paul says in that passage. Uh, Romans 6 verses uh, 12 and 13 I'm going to look at. Uh, Verse 12 says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. See what he's saying? Even though he said, Nobody's righteous. Nobody's right. He said that in Romans chapter 3. Here in Romans 6, what's he saying? Don't let sin reign in your body, right? To make it obey its passions. So sin is in you has all these passions to want to do these sinful things. See, that's going to be playing on your mind Friday night, right? I want to stay home. I don't want to get together with all those Christians. Right? Oh, man, I'd really like to watch this show instead. You know, but, but what's going to happen? That, see, the sin's got these passions, But you can say, I don't have to obey the passions of sin. I can choose to do what God has called me to do. And so Paul says, don't let sin reign in your body and make you obey its passions. And he says this, do not present your members, in other words, the part, the members of your body, the parts of your body, do not present your members to sin as instruments of what? Unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. There's that imputed righteousness. You've already been brought from death to life. And, and your members, now the sinful body that you're in, present your body to who? To God. As instruments of righteousness. Do you see that? This, is, this changes everything. This changes everything. This is where so many are confused. And I talk about it all the time, and I know you might be sick of hearing it, but I can't leave this alone. This is, to me, this is one of the most important things that you'll get from reading God's Word and understanding the Gospel. Living and doing right and being a good person is not what makes you a Christian. But being a Christian, truly a child of God, having the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed into you, is going to, in its very nature, change you. You're a new, that's why the Bible calls you things like a new creation. Or it says you were once dead, now you're alive. And this is where so many people miss it. Some people miss it on the one end. They say, i got to be a righteous person. If I go to church, I get... And that's why some people don't go to church. They go, I can't go to church. I'm not good enough. See, you're missing the point. You go to church because you're not good enough. That's the thing, right? But some people miss it the other way. And I think that this particular lie is one that has invaded so many segments of our society. As a school teacher, I'm telling you right now, I would say easily 50% to 90% of my students think this way. 
they, they've heard a bit of this truth that, that, hey, God is a forgiving God. He loves us. And so what do they say? They say, you know what? God will forgive me. I know he will. And what, the, what they mean by that is, I can, I can take this life that God has given me and I can live it however I want to live it because I believe that God is real and so I know when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And none of this really matters. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's, you can't, there's nothing in this Bible that teaches that. What it teaches is that when you become a child of God by faith, yes, it is faith alone, just believing in who God is and what He's done. But when that really happens, when you've really put your faith and confidence in Him, it's not something that will leave you unchanged. It's something that's going to change you from the inside out. And there's so many that are believing this lie, saying, "Why well, I don't have to... That's a, that's a lie from Satan. Because what's the real problem is that you haven't really put your confidence in Jesus Christ. Because if you had your confidence in Him, you would do what He says. Does He not say that? Why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? Doesn't He say those words? Why would you call me Lord if you're not... I mean, it's, and, and the more you think about it, then you start thinking, man, that's actually kind of obvious. To really have your faith in Jesus means you're going to be following Jesus. And do what he says. And so many forget this. This righteousness is brought to us, imputed to us, but then it's inwrought. It's worked its way out. So this righteousness is put on by faith, genuine faith, trusting in God, this inwrought righteousness. And this righteousness can be such a great example of an armor. I'm going to go back to that throne room example. Okay? So let's go back and let's start, let's take these little little threads of thought and let's kind of tie them all together, okay? Number one, we talked about the heart. Out of the heart flow these issues of life, right? So let's just say for a moment that all of you in here are, all of you in here are genuinely, your faith is genuinely in Jesus Christ. You trust God, right? I mean, it's, it's there. It's real. Now, I know that there's possibly that's not the case, but let's just say for a minute that everybody in here, you say, I love God. I want to follow him. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's my savior. Okay, good. Okay, let's just assume for a minute that's the case. One of the challenges you still face, though, is still living this life out, doing what God has called you to do. I mean, you, you, your confidence is Him and your trust is in Him, but to, to live this life, you, you still spend a lot of your life living for yourself and not for Him. And you go, man, you know. And, and maybe you're at a point in your life where you're, you're struggling with that. You're saying, I feel like I, I, I'm trying, but I, I'm failing, I'm trying, I'm failing. It, it, well, here's, here's how this righteousness is a part of this armor that God has given you. We talked about truth last week. Now we're talking about this, this righteousness. Here's how this righteousness can begin to be part of your armor and to help you live the way God wants you to live. Okay? See, if you begin to live this righteousness out, have this righteousness lived out, not by your passions about what you want, but saying, I'm going to live the way God wants me to because I know that the power of the Spirit of God is there to, to enable me to do what I'm supposed to do. Right, then you can begin to see this work out. I want to point to Philippians chapter 2 real quick. It kind of pulls these two things together. It says, Therefore, my beloved, uh, as you have always obeyed, so now not only my presence, this is Paul speaking, not just when I'm around, in other words, but much more in my absence. Listen to this. He says, Work out your own salvation with, with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But here's the other side of it. For it is God who works in you. Do you see how those two things are pulled together? Work out that salvation because it's God that's working in you. See, if God's working in you, you need to work this salvation out. Since God is working in you both to will and to, do, to work for His good pleasure, He's working in you. 
But yet you need to sit here and realize that, hey, I'm going to... And so you come at it from this perspective, I'm going to work this salvation out because I know that God's working in me. See, the faith is there to say, I'm, I can live and do what God has called me to do. Not according to my, my passions, not according to what I, I want and the, the sinful desires that I might have, but I, I'm going to live principle-based living according to what God says. One of the biggest benefits of this is that your heart then begins to be wrapped and surrounded, just like a breastplate, with righteousness. This righteousness of Christ being worked out in you. It gives you confidence because you can say, I'm not living the way I would live. I must be a child of God because I'm doing some things now that I never would have done before. Right? Guarding that heart. That peace of God. In another place, Paul says, the peace of God guards our hearts. Having that confidence, but that confidence is going to come as you begin to do what God wants you to do, living this righteous life that God has worked in you, begin to live it out. And as you do that, it's like a breastplate around your heart. I want to go back to that place in Proverbs to close. Proverbs, it says this. It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. But listen to what he says after this, because this, some Proverbs are disconnected, but this little section goes together. And notice some of the things he says to, to guard your heart, how it ties in with what we're talking about. Next thing he says, he says, put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk away from you. Right? I mean, if, if your speech is coming from your heart anyway, to put rid of that, get rid of that, is to really guard who's sitting on the throne. Right? Who's sitting on the throne? Where are these words coming from? Look, look at this one. He says, very next verse, uh, verse, uh, let's see, 23, verse 25, he says, he says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. And he says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. And he says, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Or, uh, turn your foot away from evil. What, what he's talking about here is this idea of principle-based living. You're going to say, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. What I know God has revealed to me, this is what you need to do. I'm going to do it. And that's how you begin to protect that heart because you're surrounding yourself with righteousness. I think it's a purity of living. I think it's a purity of what's coming in. Right? As you begin to live righteously, you're not, you're not allowing certain things to be entering in through your eyes to see things that you shouldn't be seeing. You know, letting other things sit on the throne. I think this plays out so well in, in a reality. I know for myself, when I give in and live unrighteously for a moment, say I give in to something small like my temper. Right? I, what I think is small. You know what? It becomes much easier next time to let temper take the throne. Uh, some of you know this with, with little things. Some of you uh, uh, had habits that you said, I've got to stop this habit. I mean, it was, it was an addiction. And you said, I've got to stop this addiction. And that is that first time where you finally said no. I mean, even in a pure basic level, even if we're not factoring in the power of God into all this, even if we're not talking about that, there's a reality to, to getting distancing yourself from things makes it easier to stay away from those things. But now you factor in the fact that as a Christian, we're not just kicking something off the throne. We're, gonna, we're, we're saying, Jesus, we want you sitting on the throne. You're, you're, you're the king. The more you do that, the more you begin to live this righteous life, the more you're guarding who is sitting on the throne of your heart, and the more you're saying, only Jesus is sitting here. I'm not going to do anything that he doesn't want me to do. 
And the more you do that, the... And so it's, it's kind of a bit of a challenge because so many of us would think, ah, I'm struggling and living this Christian life. And what it might sound to you like is I'm saying, it sounds, Matt, like you're saying to live the Christian life, start living the Christian life. You know what? That's actually what I'm saying. <laughs> Most of us don't struggle with not knowing what to do in any given situation. Most of us know exactly what God's will is. Don't do this. Don't do this. You know, it's, not, it's not a lack of knowledge. For most of us, 99% of the time, that's not the issue. It's, we get in that moment, and we know what God wants us to do. We know it. But we just don't want to do it. What's that? That means at that moment, somebody else is on the throne and is calling out some commands. Out of the heart flow all the issues of life. So in that moment, that's when you say, get off the throne. This is Jesus' throne. He rules here now, not you. And so I'm going to do what God has called me to do because He's King. And the more you do that, the more that builds up that protection around the heart to keep those other things from wanting to sit on that throne. So yeah, you want to start living the Christian life? You start today. You start today. Do the things that God has called you to do. Say, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go the way that He wants me to go. I'm going to live the way that is right. I'm not trying to earn anything from God. That's out the window. I'm simply going to follow Him in gratitude for all He's done for me. And the more you do that, the more it builds up your defenses to continue doing that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you, God, for this day. And I just thank you, Lord, so much for your word. I, I fear sometimes as I go through a passage like this, I see this glimmer of truth. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how that plays out, Lord. And it's, it's marvelous to me. And Lord, sometimes I'm afraid that I'm, I'm incapable of explaining it in a way where others can hear that and go, Oh, yes, it's wonderful. But Lord, I know, Lord, that we're not depending on me explaining it the right way, Lord. I know that we're depending on the Spirit of God to deliver the truth to the heart, not just to the mind. Lord, I pray that today you would begin to do that in everyone in this room, Lord. I know that there are many of us in here that have struggled with sin in our lives. We've spent a large portion of our lives living for ourselves. I know that there are those in this room that are, 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 because of the work that you've done in them, that they're coming back to you to, to see you, Lord. I know that there are those that are, their, their faith is new and fresh and they're putting their faith and their confidence in you. And, but Lord, that spiritual battle is being waged. And some days it feels like more failure than success. God, I pray that you'd help them to see that you have given them all power to choose to live the way you want them to live. Help them to begin living that righteous life because of the righteousness that's been given to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.